0: Uncharted marked a huge shift for Naughty Dog. In my estimation, it was their first foray into what could be named as adult entertainment. Not that kind of adult entertainment, the like actual meaning of the word, like entertainment for adults. That's not better, is it? Point being, the goal was to appeal to people over the age of 18 primarily, or at the very least teenagers end up. They weren't trying to make kids games or pre-teen games, they were trying to make games that appealed to more mature audiences. Its goal was to tell a more mature story with darker themes, romance, wit, and even... comedy. Cut to the chase, would you? <sighs> Man only interested in the climax. Must be a real hit with the ladies. Never had any complaints. All told, the game was. Okay, it was clearly a new thing for the team, and despite their best efforts, there were a lot of problems. However, as I'm sure you know by now, Naughty Dog eventually figured it out and were able to put out some of the most critically acclaimed titles ever released under the banner of Uncharted. I don't know why I'm such a big fan of finger quotes today, but I. I guess that's the thing we're doing now. Now, this video is the first in a series of critiques I'm going to be doing on the series. We're going to start at the first game, work all the way up through The Lost Legacy. This is one of my favorite franchises that's ever been released by any developer ever. As a result, I have a lot of personal opinions about the franchise that I think I can back up and defend. But as always, I'm totally open to hearing whatever your thoughts are down in the comment section below. So yes, we're going to be going through Uncharted Drake's Fortune, Among Thieves, Drake's Deception, A Thief's End, and lastly we're going to wrap up with The Lost Legacy, an Uncharted game that released as a standalone title but everyone seems to either forget or try to actively bury, even Naughty Dog and their creative director Neil Druckmann. But that's all beside the point, that's something we'll talk about when we get to that game whenever we get to it. But until then, make sure to subscribe so you get notified of when all of these videos come out, the moment that they come out, and if you wanna see them early and financially support the creation of these videos, head over to Patreon, throw me a single dollar, it actually does help, and you'll get to see the videos early. And depending on the tier at which you join, you can even be featured in the video right here on either side, or you can get a vocal shout out such as Mike Holland, Zachary Johnson, and Einar G. Sorry if I mispronounced that last one i'm honestly not sure and lastly i'm sure it goes without saying but i'm going to be spoiling pretty much every single thing about all of the games in each of the subsequent videos so if you haven't played uncharted drake's fortune make sure to play that before you watch this because i'm going to be going through the whole thing the whole story all the gameplay everything but with our obligatory spoiler warning out of the way we're down to get started so let's do it do you have any Parting words, Villain Trenton Mirth, or should we just get into it? No? No? You're good? Good. He's my new bearded dragon. His name is Villain Trenton you can call him Vil or V, it really doesn't matter. Anyway, he's going to be joining us throughout these videos, so I guess get used to him. To begin, I think that this game is a product of its time. It's big, bold, and filled with zombie Nazis. It doesn't take itself very seriously at all, which is actually probably a good thing given its story's content. The concept was pretty simple. They wanted to tell an action-adventure story with likeable characters who have interesting interpersonal relationships. And to be honest, it's actually such a bland description that it can apply to pretty much any Naughty Dog title from the last 10 to 15 years. I say almost any Naughty Dog title from the last 10 to 15 years because Lost Legacy exists, which if you don't follow me on Twitter or Instagram, by the way, you should do that. You might not know that I, uh, I, d- I don't like Lost Legacy at all. I think it's it's rubbish. But again, we'll get to that. And I think it's important to state this because this is the foundation upon which Naughty Dog is building the game. They're not building it off of a really interesting or unique gameplay system or off of some sort of intense narrative idea. They're building it off of the hope that it's a lighthearted action adventure popcorn flick style thing. It's not supposed to be hugely emotionally taxing. It's not supposed to make you rack your brain trying to solve puzzles and things. It's pretty light and easy to consume. And to be honest, it's pretty obvious that this is the starting point because the second you start to play Uncharted, you'll realize that it doesn't do anything particularly well, except for the story, the graphics, the animations and attention to detail, which in and of themselves are accomplishments that very few studios are able to pull off and and do well. So that's good but it means that the gameplay is severely lacking, which is something you'll see the second I start showing you footage. How about right now? It's a basic third-person cover-based shooter with some scarce puzzles and a lot of arenas. This was something that was really big back in 2007, eight and nine, where you'd have a third-person shooter and developers are basically like, eh, well, we'll just throw you in a room and keep dropping enemies in and that'll be the game. No need for anything else, we're done here. And it's something that used to be acceptable. It's something that a lot of different companies did all over the industry, but in 2020, it looks pretty lazy. Now the combat isn't great, but it serves the purpose of what they're trying to do, which is basically to pad out game time, give you space between narrative sections. Unfortunately, Naughty Dog sort of runs out of ideas later on in the game, and they end up literally throwing zombie Nazis at you. The reality is that the story is, and even at the time was, grossly outdated, as we'll discuss in just a moment in more detail. Furthermore, the gameplay is also highly repetitive. Despite what Greg Miller said back at the time, this game has zero replay value as far as I'm concerned. But the thing about uncharted is there's excellent amazing replay value here if anything there's very little play value in 2020 in fact i'm sure many of you who are watching this right now are watching this because you don't want to bother playing through the six or so hour campaign because it just it hasn't aged well so you might as well get the uncharted scratch here Get it explained, analyzed, so you can form your own opinions given the data without having to subject yourselves to grossly outdated gameplay systems, graphics, writing that's pretty cringy. Need I go on? And I don't think you're wrong to do that, by the way. I think if you're gonna start with Uncharted, you should probably watch a video like this. Get the first game out of the way and start at Uncharted 2. The reason is because Uncharted 2 is a mile ahead of this first game. They really took the burner turned the knob all the way up and then ripped it off. They did a phenomenal job with it, which is why I'm so excited to talk about it. Again, subscribe if you want to get notified of when that comes out. Now, at the time, I'm sure that this game was groundbreaking and majestic in every way possible. But right now, heading into the next generation of gaming consoles and amazing technology, we've frankly outgrown it. And I don't see a problem with people absorbing its story, its message, its design passively through a medium such as a video as opposed to playing it yourself. But what exactly is this game even about? Well, sit back, we're going to break it down go through the whole thing. Now, as I said before, the goal of this game was to be an action flick. It was supposed to be lighthearted and easy to consume. After all, the main inspiration, according to the developers, were things such as Indiana Jones, National Treasure, and Tomb Raider. And the first game is actually a pretty even split across all of these. You can see that they were trying on all sorts of different hats and seeing what worked and by the time they got to the second and third games they really got into their groove and knew what they were going to do for the games moving on. The opening scene of the game confirms this. There's some light jokes and jabs and it's all pretty fun. Nothing particularly hilarious but it sets the tone. Immediately after this a gunfight breaks out. Apparently pirates are storming the ship and Nate seems very used to this. He doesn't really freak out at all. And because of this total lack of panic on Nate's part, you can infer as the viewer that he's done this before This is not a new occurrence. He's used to dangerous situations and he seems adequately capable of dealing with them. However, there are a few implications to this that you have to consider at the outset. Either he's totally insane and a murderous psychopath, he's killed so many pirates that he's totally desensitized to it, or we're not supposed to think about it at all and rather just enjoy the ride. And I think that the latter is probably the case. It's the same debate that's been had time and time again over something called ludonarrative dissonance, which is a term that was coined in a paper a few years back. Basically, the idea behind it is that there's a character who in cutscenes is a very loving, caring individual who's supposed to be the good guy, and then in gameplay sequences, he's massacring hundreds or thousands of people, seemingly without any remorse at all. The question is, how do you resolve these two dichotomies, these two polar opposite things, into a cohesive character. For many people, they aren't really able to do that. They just have to sort of compartmentalize everything. This is the gameplay sequence, and then the cutscenes are where you actually see how people work, what their true nature is. It's an interesting discussion, but I think at the end of the day, the developers are counting on you just sort of. Passing it from one ear out the other. Don't think about it too much because again, it's, it's a video game. You know, it's the classic excuse. If something ridiculous happens in a movie and you start to get upset that that doesn't make any sense. And then the person sitting next to you just whispers over, it's just a movie. It's the same exact thing. It's the get out of jail free card that lazy writers have been using for decades. I get it. I understand why, but it's something that I hope to see Naughty Dog actively take steps to resolving in future titles because it does really start to... But heads with the character development that they're trying to put forward and you'll see this the more we break down this game and analyze it critique it throughout this video and even in future videos when we go through the rest of the series these games are not built in a way where they can withstand immense pressure being placed upon them they're meant to be lighthearted and as a result if you try to inflict any sort of literary pressure or anything analytical pressure they collapse instantly it's like trying to do a literary analysis of barney it just doesn't work because it wasn't written or created to be analyzed in that way but the point is that in my estimation you're supposed to take everything that this game throws at you with a grain of salt the size of a cantaloupe and the brilliant thing is that this does get naughty dog out of a lot of critical trouble because they can always just revert back to this excuse. Do you have an issue with zombie Nazis coming out of nowhere in the third act of the game? Well, don't worry about it. It's a cheesy action flick. Get over it. Do you not like Nate killing hundreds of pirates in just six to eight hours of gameplay time to get some treasure that he doesn't actually end up keeping? Well, it's just a game. Stop whining. See, it can kind of be used for everything, but there are some problems I don't think it excuses. A lot of them in the form of gameplay, but don't worry, we're going to get to that in just a bit. So the game starts with Nathan Drake, a self-described treasure hunter pulling a coffin from the ocean. It's supposed to house the remains of Sir Francis Drake, who is Nate's namesake. However, inside there is no body, but instead there's a diary describing the location of El Dorado. And in case you don't know, El Dorado is basically just a generic term that translates directly to the golden one. It's been used to describe everything from the city of gold to a king who had a gold throne to a gold statue. It, it can really mean almost anything that is gold and it is singular. Now, after finding this diary, pirates attack Nate and Elena, as we discussed earlier. Now, Elena is the reporter and journalist that's with Nathan in this moment. She's filming a piece for some report. Who knows? They don't ever really go into it in much detail. What we know is that she's a journalist, and that's what she's doing, because... My journalism. Now this sequence serves as the game's combat tutorial, and it introduces you to the one type of shooting and level design that this game will use from start to finish, Arena Cover Shootouts. It works okay, but playing nowadays, you'll notice immediately that we've come a long way. From all of the reviews from the time, however, apparently this was actually pretty good as far as shooting systems went. It was par for the course, in other words. Now, after a while, you're rescued by Sully, who seems to be a close friend of Nate's. Immediately, we get the vibe that Sully is the one that's seeking the treasure for the sake of the monetary award, while Nate is in it for the reward of following Francis Drake's trail. It's an interesting pairing of motivations, something that's echoed directly in Uncharted 4 between Sam and Nate, but in this first game, not much is said. There are some small arguments here and there, but everything is resolved before it grows into real conflict. And this is something that switches in the later games to a certain extent, but we'll discuss that in later critiques. Again, like I've said before, blah, 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 subscribe for, blah, blah, blah. Now after escaping, Sully and Nate drop off Elena on a small island before heading off to pursue the treasure by following the diary's instructions, abandoning her, leaving her with no way to find them. But if you've played any Uncharted game before, you know that she will magically and somehow make a reappearance shortly. I just paused to check the script look look at Bill. what are you doing he's just running back and forth in the background of the video he's meant for the camera he just wants to get on camera that's what it is attention hog after this Nate and Sully find out that El Dorado is not actually a city of gold or anything close it's actually far more underwhelming instead it's a large idol that's covered in gold and diamonds and this is actually something they're gonna do a lot in the series. They talk about this massive treasure and it's pretty much always remarkably underwhelming across the board. The only real exception to this could be the treasure in Uncharted 4, but we'll get to it. After a bunch of platforming and exploration with our old buddy and pal Sully, I almost said Sally, (laughs) Nate and Sully come across a U-boat and it's been landlocked somehow and is actually really impressive. It's the first truly memorable set piece of the series as far as I'm concerned. This picture has been permanently ingrained in my mind as I'm sure it is in many people's minds who played it at launch. And I gotta say Naughty Dog is really good at this. They design these beautiful vistas that don't look like they should be possible with current technology but they always manage to pull it off and this will not be the only time that this happens in this game. Considering that they released this game in 2006 for the PS3, it's really damn impressive how far they're able to come throughout the generation. I mean, bear in mind, The Last of Us released on the exact same hardware that this game is releasing on. That's silly. But all that is beside the point. Nate decides to explore the U-boat and Naughty Dog shows off some really impressive animation and scripting during this sequence. Eventually Nate makes it back out after accidentally setting off several torpedoes and after finding a map that they're going to use to further narrow down the treasure's location. Again, this is all pretty par for the course as far as action-adventure movies and stories are concerned. And then, because this is an action flick, the bad guy shows up. He's a self-titled bad boy Gabriel Roman and he's holding hostage with several grunts and his lieutenant a Tak Navarro, which apparently has some previous relationship with Sully and Nate, but again, it's never really explained. Now, because he's so bad for my bad guy reasons, he decides that he's going to pull a gun out and because there's nothing else to do, shoot Sully in the chest at almost point blank range. And this sets up the first instance of Naughty Dog's non-committal writing that we're going to see time and time again throughout the course of this franchise. More on this a little bit later. Just remember that Sully, an old man, was just shot point blank in the chest while wearing what is effectively a Hawaiian shirt remember that now despite this nate escapes and we head to another island that's been outlined in the map and diary that we've obtained up to this point point. and here naughty dog pairs nate back with elena who has rediscovered him somehow Again, they do this time and time again in all of these games. Elena gets separated somehow or isn't participating and then magically makes a reappearance, and I don't actually have a problem with this. I really like Elena to be perfectly honest as a character. I think she's well performed, well written, etc., etc. compliments. My point is that when she comes out of nowhere for seemingly no reason, It really does come off to the player as though they're just pulling her, placing her here because they need somebody to pair off with Nate. I get it. I understand it. I think it's necessary because in these games you'll notice that Nate is almost always paired with somebody else. This allows him to have banter back and forth with them, to talk with each other, that builds the characters. It helps with the more complicated puzzles and things. It works across the board. It's a good thing, but sometimes they're kind of lazy with how they justify those other characters arriving. Now, once they've reconnected, Elena insists on completing her journalism project and Nate insists on the contrary to continuing the pursuit of the treasure. And eventually they realize that this actually could work in tandem. She could document him going after the treasure. It helps both people. Furthermore, you would expect Nate to feel extreme guilt or sadness over the death of Sully, his effective business partner, somebody who's apparently known since he was very, very young. That's all we've been told at this point in the story. But they don't really address it very much. They have a couple lines where he throws off sort of a a sad memory of Sully, and then they go about their business. I would have expected at least a dedicated scene where they pontificate and elaborate on Nate's inner feelings about the loss of Sully, somebody who's very close with who just got murdered in front of him. But again, this is Naughty Dog's first foray, you wouldn't expect them to nail it on their first attempt out, but I can guarantee you if this game were remade today, there would be a sequence like that. Now they decide to fly to this new island, but once they get close, some random mercenaries who are employed by Gabriel Roman decide to start shooting the plane down because... That's a rational response. Now, this also bears the question, if you are flying into what you thought was a pretty desolate island in a plane, and then you start getting attacked with anti-aircraft missiles and mortar fire, you would assume that a rational human being would look at that and say, hmm, I might be outnumbered here. This might be a bad idea. Even if I need to search for some little idol that's going to be worth a lot of money, maybe I should come back with reinforcements because clearly I'm outnumbered. Not Nathan Drake. After all of these shots come in, he decides to parachute out of the plane with Elena. The plane blows up and they are left separated and stranded. I... I... Yeah, but again, if you have a problem with this sort of hyper irrational decision-making that Nate is employing, you can always just say, well, it's a video game, or "Eh, it's supposed to be an action flick. Again, you can just swat it off like a bug. It doesn't matter, just uh, don't think about it that much. It's just play the game, just play the game. You can do it with pretty much anything. Now, after they've bailed from the plane, this is the first time in the game when Nate is alone and when the player is free from another NPC. And unfortunately, this is where the game starts to crumble under its own weight, and it's because Naughty Dog didn't really have a lot by way of gameplay systems to hold up these big gaps between narrative beats. All they really have are shooting galleries and some light puzzles. Guess what? These suck. They suck now, and in my opinion, they sucked just as much in 2007. Most critics… well everyone except Greg Miller, saw this and criticized the game for it. The combat was so damn repetitive that it sucks out any replay value and makes it a trudge to finish. Reviewers in general liked these shooting galleries when they were paired with the narrative they thought altogether it was a cohesive package. But as a standalone, the fighting and the gunplay was almost universally panned, or at the very least referred to as Painfully average. Don't take my word for it. Look up the reviews yourself. You can go back in the Way, Way Back Machine. You can look it up. It's usually even still on GameSpot, IGN's websites. This was not considered great even at the time, except for a few separate reviewers. So we fight through a bunch of arenas and solve some puzzles. Eventually we find Elena, and while moving to a new location yet again, we find out that Sully is still alive. Don't to stop on the dock. And Hello. He's alive. Yeah, somehow he survived the gunshot point blank to his chest while wearing a Hawaiian shirt and being a septuagenarian. Okay, maybe he's not actually that old, but at the very least, he's in his 50s or 60s. This is an older gentleman who just took a bullet point blank to the chest in a hawaiian shirt i i don't care how he survived or what the explanation is even wearing a bulletproof vest that's been known to trigger heart attacks or even other health issues because it's such a severe force i don't feel like i need to justify this. i find that kind of ridiculous a little far-fetched that he survived it whatever it's a coincidence again it's a light-hearted action flick don't think about it right what's even more infuriating about it is that we find out later that he was saved when the bullet hit a small book in his pocket But Nate doesn't know this at the time, and as far as he can tell, it looks like Sully is helping the bad guys. So as far as he's thinking, it might be that Sully was shot with a fake bullet to fake Nate out, get him to lead them to the next location, at which point Sully is going to help them get the rest of the way there. We find out later that Sully survived by the way of this old book that was in his pocket that somehow made him impervious to bullets and now Sully is trying to slow down the bad guys so Nate has time to find the treasure before they do. And this is another trope of action movies. I don't know if you've noticed it before but the bad guy is always incompetent and incapable of finding the treasure by himself. He always needs the good guy to help him find it. Why can't we have an action flick or a game where the bad guy is the one that's way better at finding the treasure than the good guys and the good guys are having to try to steal the secrets and knowledge of the bad guys to find it. Even in something like Uncharted 4, Raish is going through and basically just blowing up everything instead of actually looking for it in a tactful manner. Or even in Uncharted The Lost Legacy, you have Nadine and Chloe looking for the treasure and the bad guys are following them and trying to cut them off before they can get to it. In some cases, the bad guys are ahead of the curve, but usually not. Regardless, it's all beside the point. After this bit, there's a car sequence that was really impressive for the time. Tons of data is streaming in and out of here. It's actually pretty insane that Naughty Dog was able to get this working this well back in 2007, and they deserve all the praise they received for it. After this, there are a few hours of platforming, a few puzzles, and a ton of arenas, yet again. Seriously, I know I just said it, but trying to play through this game in one session is... Miserable. It gets so damn repetitive, it's ridiculous. I mean, all of the locations look alike, the enemies are painfully dumb, the shooting mechanics feel like you're using water guns. It gets so old so fast. Eventually you find the body of Captain Drake, realizing that he died on the island while searching for the treasure or doing something with the treasure. You gotta love coincidences, right? Then we see a bunch of… zombies… yeah. I know that they're not called that but I mean come on these are zombies. So you fight your way out of the bunker and push off all of the zombies while fighting through yet more arenas. Little bigger arenas I grant you and the zombies have different movesets that are a little bit more aggressive which shakes it up makes it a little more interesting but. Still, they're just arenas. Nate and Elena eventually end up in a Nazi bunker, because this is 2007 and every bad guy is a Nazi, and it's at this point that you find out that Nazi leadership was actually looking for the treasure itself, but they found out that the statue was cursed in some mysterious way which caused them to turn into these zombie creatures. And this is actually why Sir Francis Drake died on the island. He was trying to keep the idol here to save thousands of innocent lives. Sir Francis Drake destroyed all of the ships that could have been used to remove the idol from the island and eventually even flooded the city itself wherein it was contained to prevent it from leaving. But because bad guys never learn, Roman, our resident bad boy doing bad stuff for my bad reasons because he's still a bad guy, is gonna try and take it himself. Now at this point, I think I should clarify that I don't inherently have a problem with supernatural elements in action stories. In fact, I think that often supernatural elements can make the story more interesting if done correctly. Hell, look at the latest Batman games from Rocksteady. Almost all of the villains and even some of the heroes in that franchise, in the stories, the comics, and the games, possess what could be defined as supernatural characteristics. Does that make the characters less relatable or the story less interesting? Absolutely not. In that case, I think that it actually enhances the story, the gameplay, and even the experience more generally. My problem with Uncharted Drake's Fortune is that Naughty Dog chickened out at the last minute. Instead of committing to an ancient curse that changes Nazis into zombies that crawl around on all fours, they decided to back out and explain it away in a naturalistic manner. And the reason that I have a problem with this is because it makes both explanations seem half-assed. What I'm referring to is that at the end of the game, Navarro is able to trick Roman into opening the sarcophagus that's described as the treasure. Put aside how underwhelming this treasure seems to be, Roman opens the sarcophagus, which to me seems pretty clearly a sarcophagus, even though this is meant to be some sort of grand reveal, and upon its opening, Roman is overcome with a mummified corpse that's contained within. You see, this mummy is infected with some sort of virus, and this virus is what's turning all of these people into these terrifying creatures. Navarro quickly takes the helm, kills Roman, assumes command of all of the mercenaries, and takes off with the sarcophagus and the mummy contained inside to sell it as a biological weapon on the black market. Because again, my bad guys do my bad guy stuff. Why any bad guy or morally deficient human being would feel the need to do this, I don't know. This type of plotline has been used in many action movies before. It's like bad guys think that they're immune to the virus they're transporting and attempting to sell. I, I really don't know why the writers of these stories are unable to craft a villain that's even slightly concerned about the potential devastation that something like this could inflict in society. Seriously, why can't we have a bad guy that's just interested in the money but actually does care about killing innocent people? Why do they have to be both? apathetic to human life and the value of it, and also totally obsessed with the biggest paycheck possible. I think it would be way more interesting to have a bad guy who's primarily interested in getting money for this terrifying virus, but also doesn't want strangers or innocent people to die as a result of it. I think that could be an interesting thing to put those two in conflict. but for whatever reason, nobody ever seems to take those steps. After all, to me, the most interesting villains are the ones with which you can agree, at least to some extent. If a story is written properly, in my estimation, the viewers should be unsure of which side to take. I've said it many times before. Conflict is the heart of entertainment itself. To me, the height of entertainment is when order overcomes chaos, or more specifically, when some activity or character walks the thin line between chaos and order. Now, In the context of Drake's Fortune, when a bad guy is doing bad things for bad reasons, it's painfully monochromatic. There's no tempering of chaos here. This is one-sided entirely. Bad guy wants to do a bad thing because he's bad and wants money because he's bad. It's a tired trope that makes its way through not just video games, but also novels, films, and popular culture more broadly. I accept that money is a motivating factor for many people, even most, but in the context of a story, that being the only motivation or driving factor for anyone's choices is lazy. People are more complicated than that. Even the most greedy capitalist scumbag you could possibly think think of has other motivations, whether it's power, getting back at a girlfriend who dumped them in high school, proving to their dad that they're actually worth being loved and receiving admiration, anything to rest on the laurels of greed and greed alone is, in my mind, the height of laziness in writing. And so, while I would like to say that Naughty Dog sticks the landing in Drake's fortune, they really don't. They end with a fake out of villains swapping one out for the other and justifying that mutiny with a poorly thought-through double cross. Navarro rides the helicopter carrying the statue to a ship just offshore that's waiting to take him off of the island. After a short gunfight and yet another arena, Nathan sends the idol into the ocean with Navarro caught in the rope dragging him to the bottom of the sea. Sully shows up out of nowhere and takes Elena and Nate off of the island with several large chests of treasure at their disposal to fund whatever adventure comes next. And that's it. That's the whole game. Now for their first foray into the action-adventure genre, I think it's actually a pretty impressive attempt, despite all of the issues. And it's also important to remember the context of the times. In 2007, while most of us it might seem like it was yesterday, it was actually a long time ago. The Xbox 360 and PS3 had just launched and were less than a year old. George Bush was still president, and American Idol was at the top of the TV charts. Video games have changed a lot since then. They're much more cinematic now and they demand much better writing than we received back in the late 2000s. Most of that has been driven actually by Naughty Dog themselves and I think that's the legacy of Drake's fortune. It laid the foundation for what was to come, and what was to come were some of the most impressively interactive and engrossing video game narratives, performances, and presentations that the world had ever seen. There are a lot of problems with this Uncharted game. There really are. Most of them gameplay related. They try to salvage it with some extra little things where you can collect little trinkets that you find hidden in crannies of levels or they try to have secret dialogue options if you're standing in certain locations but all told the game is what it is. I think they laid a phenomenal foundation and seeing what came out of that foundation in the form of Uncharted 2 I think shows just how much they learned while working on this game. Even as impressive as it was the first Uncharted game was merely a proof of concept. The sequel is where the franchise actually gets off to a running start and where Naughty Dog starts to dominate the narrative action-adventure gaming genre. But again, we're gonna be going through all of that in the next video when we discuss Uncharted 2 Among Thieves. But before we get to that, make sure to head over to twitch.tv forward slash Luke Stevens. Follow me over there. You can watch me play this game as we work on the coming critiques. We can bounce ideas off of each other. It's a great time. And if you enjoyed this video, make sure to subscribe, like the video. It actually does help. It really does. And if you can share it with your friends, that helps even more than you could possibly imagine. But thank you for watching. I love you all. Vill and i will see you in the next video do you have any parting words Vill? no fair enough i love you all see you in the next video